Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another Ion Travel podcast. On this edition, we look at the state of hotels and restaurants with some of the trailblazers in those industries. John Tisch, chairman and CEO of Lowe's Corporation, has a somber report on hotel delinquencies and foreclosures that can and can't be done. How many hotels in New York alone are facing foreclosure? A whopping 34%. Then I'll talk with two legends in the restaurant business. Drew Niporance, the founder of the Tribeca Grill, Nobu, and other historic establishments, and Iron Chef Alex Guarnaschelli on how many restaurants are closed, how many may never reopen, and the way forward. First up, John Tisch. My next guest I've known way too long. How about that for an introduction? But uh, if anybody's got his ear to the ground on what's happening in the in the COVID-19 world in hospitality and especially hotel business, it's Jonathan Tisch, the CEO and chairman of Lowe's. Hey, Jonathan. Peter, it has been a while, but we started when we were four. <laughs> I'll accept that lie. Uh, but <laughs> bottom line is, if you look at the numbers, and I've been looking at the statistics given to us by the American Hotel and Lodging Association and also some of the banking figures, uh, the foreclosure-rated hotels pre-pandemic was almost, you couldn't even register to something like 1%. Today, it's close to 23%, and that represents hotels that have, that have been delinquent on their, on their payments. And we're not talking about the management companies necessarily, because the big hotels like, uh, or hotel corporations like Marriott and Hyatt and Hilton don't necessarily own those buildings. They manage them. We're talking about the actual owners of the real estate. And in New York, where you are, that delinquency rate is up to like 34% now. It's staggering. This is a very difficult time for travel in general and lodging specifically. And as you know, because you have been commenting so eloquently about our industry for decades, 
travel is the largest in- industry in the world, and the U.S. travel industry is really, really in a difficult place right now. And it's going to take some time for the recovery to take hold. But when you talk about foreclosures in lodging, they're real. You noted that the Hyatts, the Hiltons, the Marriott's of the world are what we call in the industry asset light. True, as you said, they don't own any real estate. We at Lowe's Hotels are different than that. We like owning the real estate. We have 27 properties, 21 of which are currently open. Six are still on temporary suspended operations. And we own a lot of the real estate. We have partners in some, some we own 100% ourselves. And we're fortunate that we are a wholly owned subsidiary of Lowe's Corporation. But there are so many men and women, small operations, small companies, mom and pops that are really hurting in our industry, travel and tourism, and especially hospitality. And your numbers are right about New York City hotels that are facing the the dire, dire predicament of foreclosure. And there are estimates that some 30% of the hotels in New York City may never open again or may never reopen, I should say. There are 122,000 hotel rooms in New York City, and 30% of them may never open again as a hotel. So given those staggering numbers, where do you see yourself or the business, I should say, you know, moving forward, getting forward, getting ahead of this. I mean, that's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. The estimates are three years, four years. But the industry will get through this. We will come out of it stronger than ever. But as you know, there are different kinds of travel that have really allowed us to have some very, very good years. And the, the challenge that we face is that each segment is in a very difficult place. There is virtually no business travel, no corporate travel, because many CEOs are saying, we don't want to risk sending the women and men who are part of our organization on the road right now. And for the smaller organizations, the the smaller businesses, they may not have the capital to allow their people to travel. And obviously, people have become incredibly efficient and productive using technology to have their meeting. I I say now, and you know this well, because you and I would meet there for breakfast, our Regency Hotel, our Lowe's Regency Hotel on 61st Street and Park Avenue is still closed. And historically, I would walk in there and see a friend from L.A., and I would say to them, what are you doing here? And their comment would be, oh, I just flew in for one meeting. I don't think we're ever going to hear those words again. And... You you well know, and you used to do it. You would fly to London for a dinner. You would fly to Paris for a lunch. That kind of travel is certainly suspended now and very concerning whether those kinds of business trips will happen again. They will, but it's going to take some time. Then there is no group travel. There are no meetings. There are no association gatherings. And so that probably isn't coming back until there is a vaccine, although we are starting to see, I must say, we are starting to see some small signs of groups that are willing to meet. The advantage, I would say, of some of our hotels with large ballrooms, lots of meeting space, is that we can socially distance a group of 25, 40, 50 people. So it's it's baby steps, but that's going to take a while. 
And then what are the, what are the dates that we will see international travel again? Probably not for a while. As you know, the EU doesn't allow Americans in. Other parts of the world aren't allowing Americans in. And we're not letting international travel come to our country. So when you look at the various demand generators, which for the last couple of years have contributed to a very, very strong travel and tourism industry in our country, they're all pretty much shut down. And then I, you, anybody can walk you through the similar challenges that we face here in New York. It's going to take some time. We will get there. A vaccine is going to be vital in terms of various segments of, of travel and tourism. But it's, it, it is a challenging moment. And Peter, you probably know this because you read the statistics that come out of the American Hotel and Lodging Association. The unemployment rate nationally is about 10 or 11 percent. It is 50 percent in the lodging industry. And that's mm. really, really tough on the women and men who, who work so hard to ensure guest expectations are not just met, they're exceeded. You know, I want to go back to something you said about, you know, the people who would just, you know, get on a plane at the drop of a dime and go for two days and come back. Because you and I remember the days of, uh, you know, it was supposed to be teleconferencing that was going to save the world. And it didn't work because people really wanted face-to-face exchange. They wanted to be in that, you know, in that location talking to somebody literally across the table. It, it almost seems to be it, it's in our cultural DNA to want to do that. But that's being mitigated right now by fear. Very much so, and people will meet again in person. I'm only commenting on that last-minute business trip, which, as you well know, was very important for the airlines. They would be able to charge more for that seat than somebody who booked six weeks in advance. For that last-minute arrival at a hotel, when you're running 90% occupancy, we would be able to charge a bit more for that room than somebody who booked two months in advance. That's the the premium that we were able to get in various aspects of the travel industry. That's going to take a while to come back. But I will tell you that at Lowe's Hotels and Lowe's Corporation, we have reopened our offices and... My colleagues, the the men and women that I'm proud to run this organization with, are coming back. And we are having meetings in person, and it feels really good. But it's going to take some time. Speaking to Jonathan Tish, the chairman and CEO of Lowe's Corporation. Jonathan, we were just talking about you know some of the big picture items here, because we know that it's going to come back. We just don't know when or how, really. But take a look at the airline situation. Uh, we're now up against the deadline where in just just a few days, the, 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 uh, the provisions of the CARES Act, which required the airlines to keep everybody on payroll and fly their normal route system, those expire. And so you have about 100,000 employees of the, of the airlines that have already been given notice that they, they face furlough. Uh, the airlines have already given notice themselves to the Department of Transportation. And then, of course, to us, they're going to drop as many as 90 cities from their route network. Um, and they're asking for more federal aid to get them through March. Um, uh, and as you know, historically, airline bankruptcies usually happen. This is pre-pandemic in December and January, where these airlines just can't have enough capital to make it through to the second quarter. Don't the hotels find themselves in the same same ballpark? And can you get some federal aid here? Well, we certainly have worked through our industry organizations. That's the U.S. Travel Association and American Hotel and Lodging Association to discuss these ideas 
that you just mentioned as they relate to the airlines, but similar kinds of relief for hotels. But the airlines early on in the pandemic were able to receive some aid that got them to today or tomorrow or the next day, as you noted. And the hotel industry, because it's much more about individual properties, small owners, yes, you've got the big guys, as we discussed, but they they're, they churn fees, reservation fees, marketing fees, purchasing fees, and they don't own real estate. So it, it's very hard to, other than PPP, it's very hard to come up with a way to help the lodging industry across the board with some part of the CARES Act. Now, in individual jurisdictions, maybe you could come up with something that, that works, uh, some local relief, but, it, but it's hard. And that's why, to go back to our original conversation, the possibility of foreclosure or people losing their hotels is real. That is a serious challenge that people in our industry we're, we're facing that. And then when you look at certain destinations, if you look at, yes, our resorts in places like Tucson, Arizona, uh, Lowe's Coronado Bay Resort in San Diego, resorts are getting some business on the weekend. But as you well know, this is from people getting in their cars and driving. And it tends to have been in the warmer months. Obviously, it's getting colder now. So we'll see if, if that continues. So there is a bit of business out there, but it, it's a, a real challenge right now. And there are some things that we ask for in terms of government aid, maybe a tax credit for you to travel, increase the amount of the business meal deduction. So there, there are some things that our industry has discussed with our elected officials, but right now it doesn't appear that there's going to be any relief for the foreseeable future. It's going to be very, very tough on the travel industry. So what you're saying then, based on that 34% delinquency rate, just even here in New York, is we will see some more hotels close and never reopen. Absolutely, you will. And you mentioned the large numbers of our team members that are furloughed on leave of absence are separated from various organizations within travel. That's really tough. At, at Lowe's Hotels, we had pre-pandemic about 11,000 team members. Uh, we still have some of our valued women and men that are on leave of absence, but we have to also be respectful of our revenue sources, where we see business going in the fourth quarter of this year, in the first half of next year. And we have to come up with a business model that makes sense for the times that we live in and the revenue expectations that we have. And it, it's difficult, but this is where we find ourselves. And, and the frustrating aspect of this, and, and this, this is, believe me, we see this in so many areas of our economy, so many segments of the towns and the cities that we live in. Nobody did anything wrong. The travel industry was vibrant. It was strong. It was still creating jobs. In New York City, we were hopeful in 2024, our 11th straight year of increases in annual visitors. The projection was for 67 million visitors in 2020. When you look at some of the properties that we have in destinations like Orlando, where we have our joint venture with Comcast, NBC Universal, eight hotels, 9,000 rooms. And when you think about two hotels that we opened recently, 
with baseball teams as our partner. Live by Lowe's Arlington, Texas with the Texas Rangers as our partner. Live by Lowe's St. Louis with the St. Louis Cardinals as our partner. Lowe's Kansas City Hotel that was supposed to have a ribbon cutting on April 2nd, which obviously never happened. 800 rooms, 65,000 square feet of meeting space. And that's just for our company with our 27 properties. So it's going to be difficult, but we we will get through this. We will depend on the men and women who are the backbone of our organization to offer the service that we are known for and so many in the lodging industry are so good at. John, you know, if I go back and look at some of the other real problem moments in American history that we remember, right, 9-11, the 2008 recession, you could even throw in the, uh, the volcanic eruptions in Iceland in 2010 to a certain extent, and now this. Uh, in the past, though, the playbook was the way to get back from a, from a depressed market was to discount, whether you're an airline or a hotel, offer all sorts of great deals. This time that's not working, right? I, I, I laugh when I see that at one point the airfare from Fort Lauderdale to Los Angeles back in March and April was a one-way ticket of $12.89, and it didn't stimulate any traffic at all. So I'm assuming that the old playbook is is really thrown out the window now. We know that you and I have grown up in, and that so many of your listeners have been part of for the past few decades, have never experienced anything like this. And when you look at an industry that is so, um, so important to so many economies around the world, and especially in in our country, then you realize how this challenge is is one that we have to figure out new ways to deal with. Price cutting, as you said, is not working. It is, the airlines uh, ha- have articulated this, is that their air is filtered every two to three minutes. The, the air goes from the top of the plane to the bottom of the plane and gets pushed out. So, you know, hop on a plane. But, but there still are so many in individuals that are concerned about travel, so they get in their car, but that was mainly this, this summer. And we are going to have to find new ways to stimulate demand when people are ready. It's really interesting, and we're part of this at, at U.S. Travel. Their campaign is called Let's Go There. And what they are trying to give you a sense of an optimistic future is that you might not be ready to get in on a plane now. You might not be ready to get in your car now. But think about travel. Book travel now so that you have something to look forward to. In New York City, we have a campaign called All In NYC. And for the immediate future, we understand the limitations. We understand the hesitation. So for the immediate future, we're working on a staycation philosophy with the tri-state region. Even people who live in the five boroughs go to a hotel, take your partner, your spouse, your significant other, your kids, and go to a part of town that you've never been in before. Peter, I know that you've been in the city. My wife and I actually have an anniversary coming up, and we're planning where we're going to go for outdoor dining for our anniversary in a couple weeks, and we're looking forward to it. There are so many great moments that are taking place now in our city with different ways of offering hospitality, but they're they're working. And as you know, next week we go to 25% indoor dining. Hopefully everything will go well. We'll go to 50% dining on November 1st. But, but there is the challenge of the perception if Broadway is closed, then people think that New York City is closed. 
But museums are open, 25% capacity. Restaurants are open, and they'll figure out outdoor dining, hopefully with the, the help of the city. And we're starting to get there. We're starting to come back. But once again, with no Broadway, no Thanksgiving parade, no ball dropping in Times Square, we're going to have to figure out new ways to stimulate demand. But these companies are really good in our industry, and the creative forces will be at work, and, and we'll figure it out. My thanks to John. Will things ever turn around for the restaurant business? Drew Naporitz has a frontline report. The last time I looked, over 1,400 restaurants right here in New York City alone that have closed permanently will never reopen. Joining me now, an old friend of mine, legendary restaurateur, the co-owner, or the owner, I should say, of the Myriad Restaurant Group, Drew Naporitz. Drew, welcome. Peter, good to hear your voice. And and to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about, I mean, Drew operates, you know, his group operates the Tribeca Grill, Nobu, New York, all the Nobus, uh, and, you know, just really iconic restaurants. Uh, you know, Montrachet, of course, the original one dating back to 1985. How many of your restaurants right now are actually even open? Well, you know, thank God. I, I waited, Peter, because people were on unemployment plus $600 a week. So some people were making $1,100 a week not to work. So I waited to the end of uh, July. And then de Blasio said the phase three, which is the dining, would allow indoor, uh, yeah, it would allow indoor dining, uh, was going to start on July 5th, which, of course, they never did. So uh, I, I, I pretty much was ready to go on at the end of July. And then uh, right now, Nobu's are both open, the one uptown and downtown in New York, and actually performing quite well because we have a a tremendous outdoor area. And then uh, Tribeca Grill, uh, we opened, and it's it's performing well. And uh, my first restaurant, which is now called Batard, 35 years later, it's got the smallest footprint, but we're open and we're doing pretty well. So right now, you know, everything's running, and we're about to uh, serve indoors next week, starting on Wednesday. Right, and then we're going to see how that works, because you're, you're still limited at the original part to 25% capacity, right? Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous, but, you know, we'll take it. Um, and we'll pray, obviously. Look, I'm one of those people that, you know, I believe Dr. Fauci and, and Governor Cuomo, I think, has done a fantastic job. And so I, I follow the rules and, and I'll stick with the rules as long as, you know, we, we, we just have to hang in there. The PPP, uh, the uh, payroll protection uh, did pretty well. It, you know, it's, it's, it's held us over. But now uh, it's going to run out and, and now we're going to have to stand on our own two feet. And the weather, of course, is going to change. So outdoor dining is going to go away. So we're going to have to hopefully, you know, they're saying maybe 50 percent in November. So we'll see what happens. And how have you adapted in other ways in terms of your menu, in terms of your prices? Well, I'll tell you, Peter, you know, like I've never seen anything like this in New York. First of all, it's like, you know, it's really good to see uh, restaurant people. They really think on their feet. I mean, I can't I walk all over the city. Or I've seen all these installations on the street. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, we do what we have to do in terms, you know, I've lowered the prices in most of the places, uh, uh, but I'll tell you what: what I see is people really want to go out, and they and they're not afraid to spend. And quite frankly, you know, I had somebody buy a three thousand dollar bottle of wine last night. You know, a DRC, uh, the Romani Conti Latash. I mean, some people are really spending money. I, that's that's what I. See. Well, maybe they were buying the wine because it was the Last Supper. <laughs> 
Well, there is a little bit of gloom and doom out there. There's no question about it. So where do you see everything in about six months? Because it's tar- it's hard to project, isn't it? Okay, you know, I've been sort of day-to-day and very worried, but I'll tell you this. I'm going to give you the Drunaporn grand plan. That on November 3rd, we're going to have a new president, and that's going to be a hell of a uh, an amazing uh, feel-good moment for this country. We'll get rid of this idiot. And then... Um, you know, there's going to be a vaccine. The vaccine will come probably early next year, around March, let's just say. And from what I can tell, and this is my pr- uh, prediction, we're going to be able to get back in the groove. It might it, the COVID will not go away 100 percent, but at least in New York, where I have my restaurants, Nobu, of course, is around the world. But um, in New York, uh, they've handled this thing pretty well. And I think, uh, you know, we have to just wait this thing out a few more months. But uh, I, I predict good times. Well, I sure hope you're right. I mean, I sure hope that we can turn the corner here because so many people have lost their jobs. So many people have lost their restaurants, not just in New York, but nationwide uh, no that are not, that are not coming back, you know, and they're not the PPP money didn't really help them. They, you know, it, it well, kept them going at a time that nobody was leaving their house. You know, the, the restaurant business has always existed on very thin margins. I mean, I started 35 years ago. And when I charged $16 for a three course meal, I made more money back then than I charged when I charge $100 for a three-course meal now. So, I mean, it, it, it's just a very tough business. But I'll tell you what, the restaurant uh, the restaurant community in New York City has been very resilient, Peter. And you know what my dream is? My dream is getting on an airplane, going anywhere. <laughs> That's uh, going anywhere. You know what, Drew? I'm going to be right there with you. My thanks to Drew. And last but not least, I talk with Alex Guarnaschelli. The airlines may get a federal bailout, but what about their restaurants? And how long can this go on? The Iron Chef, who owns the award-winning Butter Restaurant in New York, which is currently closed, isn't hopeful. Uh, my next guest is uh, one of the, uh, the the Food Network heroes, Iron Chef. I, I hate to use the word celebrity chef, but she deserves it. Uh, she's worked everywhere. She's done Daniel Balud and, and and Patina, her own restaurant, Butter and the Darby, uh, and knows everything there is to know. But right now, I guess the playbook is, is really being thrown out the window in the restaurant business. I'm doing this show right now from New York, where over 1,300 restaurants have closed permanently and will never reopen. That's scary. Uh, and many of them were my favorites. And we're not just talking the five-star fine dining restaurants. We're talking local ne- neighborhood joints where they preserve the sense of community and, and friendship and longevity. Uh, it's, it's hitting everybody. And who better to talk about it than Alex Garnaschelli? Hello, Alex. How are you? Well, I'm hanging in. Are you hanging in? I mean, I've had a restaurant in Manhattan for 19 years, and it's closed for now. And so you're not alone in this, and it's a, it's a tough situation to be in. And now we have a situation where the governor has just announced that uh, starting September 30th, people can do indoor dining as long as the restaurants cap the capacity at 25%. I don't really know if that really helps you, does it? Um, no. And, um, so, you know, I, 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 it's really a hard issue because I've had a restaurant for a long time. I want everybody to go back to work. I want my employees to be working. But on the other hand, you have the public health issue and what kind of risk it creates if everybody does go back to work. And so it, it, it just creates to me a lose-lose in a way, you know? We don't all get back to, to work, uh, we, or we do, and not everybody is safe. Um, and I think that's really kind of what it comes from. Um, 
I know a lot of people that are struggling, that have multiple restaurants in Manhattan, and all of them are closed. Um, I just got an email for a GoFundMe for the revered um, cookbook store, Kitchen Arts and Letters, that is unable to pay its rent. And, and they're selling cookbooks. They're not even restaurants. So, um, I mean, even just people asking me, well, what about the air conditioning? What about recirculated air? Can we sit inside safe, safely? I mean, there are so many unanswered questions. I feel so like everybody's, look, yeah, everybody's looking for answers and they're not easily found. I think it's more that there are multiple sort of answers depending on your approach, which just doesn't work when you're dealing with people's livelihood. Exactly. I think we need the government to help us. And are they going to? Well, you know, we had that I mean, emergency PPP. We had the, per, the the PPP money, but that ran out. And, you know, even though that may have been well-intentioned, all that did was allow businesses that didn't have a lot of business to stay in business until the money ran out. And then they went out of business, or they closed, or they furloughed people. And this just isn't restaurants. It's, it's across the board. Um, and we're seeing that now with the airlines. We're seeing it now with hotels. The hotel owners who can't afford to make their debt service just on the buildings alone, doesn't matter what the brand is that's hanging on the outside of the building, whether it's Marriott or Hilton or Hyatt, if the owner of the building can't make debt service, the hotel doesn't open. So it's crazy, right? I mean, it's pretty unfathomable. I grew up in Manhattan, so, you know, when I read an article about a place like Delmonico's or somewhere I've gone my whole life, you know, it's just sort of inconceivable. New restaurants that I was just starting to frequent when this all started, you know, really old ones, really new ones. Um, I do see a lot of signs of life in Manhattan. I'll give it that. What concerns me is there's no tree at Rockefeller Center this Christmas and there's no Broadway. So those are big attractions that naturally attach themselves to dining out, not to mention what it does to another huge industry, which is Broadway. So just had an unbelievable domino effect on everything. I think we need support. You know, I think we need support from the federal government to get restaurants back on their feet. And do you feel that's going to happen? Do you think it's going to happen? I don't know. I don't I I don't know. Do you? Well, at a certain point, you reach a point of diminishing returns where it's it it basically starts to you know spiral so quickly that even with a lot of money, you can't stop the inevitable. You got to get it right early. And uh, I'm not so sure they did. And, you know, we're coming into a situation now where we have weather in many cities in the United States. We're in the fall and winter. You can't do outside dining. I mean, you can do it in California, but you can't do it in New York. Um, and, you know, the statistics and the science tell us that when they did tracing, a majority of the people who said they got COVID at a restaurant were those who were eating indoors, not just in New York, but all over the country. Um, and so you're right. It's it's not a win-win situation for anybody to open up at 25% because you have the public health issue, too. Kind of hard for me to... It, it pits two things against each other, and neither one of them is anything I, I care to think about. One is all the employees that have worked with me at Butter for 20 years not working, which is just heartbreaking to me. And the second is um, more COVID cases and more public health issues on the other side. So Exactly. Well, really... I, can tell you, I can tell you this, Alex. I'm a born and raised New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. I'm talking to you right now from New York because normally I'd be in Los Angeles or on the road, but I'm in my New York bunker, right? And uh-huh. the only upside for me, which you might laugh about, is the only bill I haven't had to pay in six months is dry cleaning, huh. um, That's right? Funny. That's about it, right? And well, I worry about dry cleaners, for God's sake. Yeah. Who is yeah. dry cleaning their clothes? You got me. But also taxis. Yeah, the taxis are hurting. They're hurting big time. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the, those guys are working on the margins effect. to begin with. Absolutely. Right. 
And I mean, those medallions, all the money they paid for those taxi medallions. Right, which are now not worth very much at all. Do you see a solution if the feds don't come in and help? No, not not really. Wow. I mean, I think you're right. I think we either need to open up or get some support because I think flailing so, around like this is not the answer. Well, let's turn the page a little bit. With everybody staying at home and everybody eating at home, why don't you humor me? What's in your fridge right now? I mean, you can't ask a chef what's in their fridge because, you know, it's always full with weird stuff. Um, <laughs> my daughter, Ava, does a lot of pickling. She's 13 and she doesn't want to be a chef, but she loves cooking and she loves eating. And she um, pickles a lot of vegetables. So okay. we have pickled carrots, pickled fennel. Um, she puts some shallots in an olive brine. Um, she's doing a lot of really unusual stuff. So I have lots of jars of pickled stuff. I'm ready for winter. Um, and I also have, um, an obscene amount of mustard cause I love mustard. I always have at least honestly about a quart of mustard on hand. I have you to just tell never you, know when you're going to need a giant scoop of mustard. I have to tell you, I come back from all of my trips when I was traveling with, uh, with at least two things from every country, uh, honey and mustard and, and, really? and, 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 and re- in, the la- in the last couple of years, salt. Agree. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. But you know what? Supplies are dwindling. Oh, and the other thing I would come back with, if I can really find great stuff, is olive oil. But really? difficult to tra- But difficult to transport, uh, obviously. You're not, you're not, you can't carry it on. When we last left off, I was talking about America's eating habits at home these days. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. They're either mainlining Oreos or they're, or they're eating healthier than they've ever eaten before. I don't see a middle ground. Do you? I think I think it's true that people are either eating ready-made foods that are a massive comfort that they've known forever. They're double downing on the Americana. That I give you. But I and I think people are also getting a little nutty with the uh, you know sourdough projects and all the other stuff that they might not normally have done right because they have right, more time ba- in their hands. Yeah, yeah, we're all bakers now, right? Yeah, I think baking has obviously really exploded. I, I think the the baking powder lobby and, uh, you know, other people um, are really happy. But I do see a lot of people cooking more um, in general. And people are saying to me, hey, you know what? I kind of came up with some dishes I really like. And uh, other people say to me, I'm so sick of making dinner that when I can go back and eat out, I'm never eating at home again for the rest of my life. So I get a lot of... <laughs> dramatic um, hyperbole, you know, like, I'm never eating home again, you know. But I do (laughs) think people are expanding their repertoire. Um, And I do think people have um, really gotten a a lot more into cooking. Um, But I also agree, you're right, it's true. I think we're really into comfort food. I think food has become more recreation for us than it even was before. I mean, you can't go out, but at least you can make a good dinner. At least you can give the illusion of having transported yourself somewhere. Sometimes a recipe from another part of the world will spark a memory of a trip or travel, or you replicate that dish you had five years ago in Greece on your vacation. Um, You know, so I do think there's a a sort of call for cooking and food to transport you um, and to recreate feelings um, of maybe times when you were out and about in the world, you know? So I think food has the power to do that. And, and you, how passionate you are about travel, you know how transporting food can be. Um, food is our opportunity to, you know, go beachside with a clam bake or, you know, whatever else you can create those feelings. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. When it comes to me, I'm a huge fan of sutlach. You know what that is? No. That's Turkish for rice pudding. (laughs) 
so funny and, you say that. I, okay. Well, tell me I what's funny. Tell me. Rice pudding. Um, I, I was in an, a very old school diner today through a haphazard series of circumstances. And I was talking with the owner and he was telling me how he's struggling and how he's pivoting and doing so many things to make ends meet. And I said, to me, the true marker of a great diner is the rice pudding. It has to have that sheet of cinnamon over it and be in that rectangular container in the display next to the fruit salad <laughs> behind the counter. And he turned around, and there was a bowl of fruit salad and a bowl of rice pudding. And he scooped me a little scoop of rice pudding, and I bit into it, and I cried because it just took me straight back. I start, I'm here, tears streaming down my face. Um well, but, yep. but please, I, I digress somewhat. What about your Turkish rice pudding? Well, the Turkish rice pudding, it, it, it's very difficult to find, but you can find it at some Turkish restaurants here in New York. And okay. that's my, you know, that's, give me a grilled cheese sandwich and a, and a rice pudding and I'm, I'm good for a week. <laughs> oh, wow. Those are, you know, those are the comforts, I think. So yeah. I, I think people have upped their technique game and upped their cooking. But I think that what we want is um, simplicity and comfort. We want, to, we want food to, to make us feel better about our day and the state of the world. You know, and I'm I, I sorry think that you're right. restaurants don't, no, I, I don't think have you're an right. opportunity in fact, to do that. You're right. In lieu of or in the absence of a security blanket for the virus, we definitely want a security blanket with our food. And, that, and that's a, a, a short-term replacement, but it does do the trick in the short term. I mean, I think it can provide some, some hope, a feeling of community. I mean, I don't want to get too hokey, but I do think food is a very powerful thing. I think it's a way of sharing different cultures. I mean, my mother's lifelong passion is really culture. And certainly culture, one big expression of that is often through food and ingredients. So, you know, that's why we need restaurants. But Well, I we need restaurants for two other reasons, too. It's more than just the food. It, you mentioned it. It's not just community, but it's another C word. Conversation. It brings people yeah. together. It's common ground. It's amazing what you can discover over a meal. And, uh... You know, countries have made peace over meals. That's the way it's supposed to be. My thanks to Alex, to Drew Nipporans, and to John Tish. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might happen to listen to podcasts. And for continuous updates on breaking travel news, log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.